Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, grappling fans? Who's the first one that looks like the first one mentally in the game? The first one that looks like the first one that looks like the first Hey everybody, welcome to our 40th episode of the Who's Number One podcast. I got Reed here, filling in for Chase today uh, as a co-host with me, calling in. Uh, today we have, from calling in from, I assume, New Jersey, we got Gary Tonin. Uh, Gordon Ryan should be joining us sometime soon. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing pretty well, man. Um, I'd imagine with the name like Who's Number One uh, as a show, every time <laughs> Gordon comes on, he pretty much just talks about how it's definitely him and nobody else. So, uh, I don't know how much more than that he's really going to contribute to this, but we'll see. Um, yeah, man, here here in New Jersey, Secaucus, I just moved out here, uh, just moved out of my old apartment and moved everything over uh, at the beginning of the month, and uh, I've been settling in over here. Is that far from New Brunswick? Is it a different, different spot? Yeah, uh, so far, where huh? my gym is now is East Brunswick. It used to be in, like, Monroe, but uh, that was that's about... 45, 35 minutes away, depending upon traffic and that sort of thing. What's going on, Grandpa? And you, you moved the um the gym, too? <laughs> yeah, moved yeah. the gym to East Brunswick. Um, the gym move was more because the lease was ending, and I wanted a slightly bigger space. And the only thing they could offer us in the old building was double the space, and I just thought I, that was a little bit too much. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big believer in kind of uh, not – overdoing it when it comes to getting like a much bigger space I, i'd rather like push the boundaries of whatever space it is that you have and have it be like packed than you know have a huge vacant space and then try to fill it i just feel like it it gives a better impression when your your space has more people in it and it's not like just open with like five guys you know what i mean uh how often are you teaching because i mean you, you you you're still doing some grappling stuff you did acc uh yeah Maker. How, how many classes a day are you teaching when, like, when things obviously aren't shut down like this? Are you teaching a lot? Yeah. Uh, so originally, I would say before MMA, I was teaching pretty much six, seven days a week, depending upon whether or not I had some sort of like seminar that weekend or like, you know, some sort of constraint. You know, if I had like a match or something, I might go away for a week. But for the most part, I was over there every day teaching and teaching pretty much every class, even kids' classes. Um, but then things kind of, once I started doing MMA, it just was too much of a workload and I started to kind of shift over and start delegating responsibilities. And, uh, now I, 
uh, you know, when things are <laughs> not, not technically now, but when things were normal, um, I was teaching, I would still say like about five, six days a week, uh, but I would only teach the 730 class um, because that was all I could really get back for. Because basically I, I still do my jiu-jitsu training the same way that I did uh, when I was just focused on jiu-jitsu, but now I have a sparring session and MMA stuff after. Um, you know, so it, it takes a lot more time for me to get back home and things. It's just impossible for me to really, uh, teach all those classes that I was before. And honestly, it's like a better thing for all my students anyway. Um, it's cool to have like one central person kind of like, you know, teaching and stuff, especially somebody that's like a super high level. But I also honestly think that it takes away a little bit, um, from the improvement of the other gym members because, on board and being to other people and if you can't communicate what you know to other people how how important is the you know how useful is the information you actually have you can only use it for you you can't help anybody else um so for a lot of my guys that are interested in maybe opening a school one day or anything like that now they're getting practice at teaching and things like that and and the school feels more interconnected to a lot of different people instead of just me as a central focus so uh, i think it, it was a really good switch and uh, you know good thing for the gym what are you up to these days with the shutdown? What are you doing to pass time right now? Well, uh, I'm trying to handle as much online responsibilities as I possibly can. Um, so I started hooking up uh, my, my gym with Zoom classes and things. Um, so I have all my different instructors teaching on uh, Zoom now for the gym. Uh, in addition to that, uh, what I'll do is I'll post uh, clips or highlights, and I'll just do like little miniature uh, breakdowns on those clips or highlights. Uh, and I'll send them into a, a student page that I have set up for my gym. Uh, in addition to that, we're part of the Tom the Blast Association, which uh, what he's done is he's taken a bunch of different instructors and things from his association, and they're kind of doing the same sort of thing. Like if they teach like a Zoom session or something, they post it up there and people can uh, people can watch it or maybe they'll post like a workout or something. And, you know, so there's a lot of resources now for, uh, you know, for my students and things. And I'm just trying to keep everybody connected and, uh, you know, give give as much value as I can, because obviously, uh, you know, many members are still paying for the gym and stuff. And uh, it's not the same as like getting to actually go and train. And uh, I, I feel a sense of responsibility. You know, if people are continuing to pay the business money, I want to make sure that they're getting something out of it, you know. So uh, I'm trying to keep uh, keep up with that as much as I possibly can. And it's actually more it takes more time than I would have imagined it to take, you know, to, to stay on track of all that and make sure who's teaching and this, that, and the other thing. So, uh, you, I would, I'm surprised. I would have thought that it would have been like a little less uh, time consuming, but it actually, you know, it takes more time than you'd think. What are the plans for your MMA career once things get started back up? You got like any fights in mind or what do you, what are you planning <clears throat> once? I mean, obviously we don't know the future, but once they get started yeah. up, what do you think about for MMA? So I'm still pushing really hard to get that title fight against, uh, Martin, uh, Nguyen and, uh, that's like my main goal is to try to try to progress towards that uh, for the time being. Um, I mean, the, the goal, the, the ultimate goal is to be like basically like the best mix, mixed martial artist, uh, you know, I could possibly be and, and uh, you know, try to try to be up there with, uh, you know, the names that are considered to be the best mixed martial artists of all time. Um, but, you know, obviously I got to take steps to get there. So <laughs> getting a getting my first uh, world title in a, in a in a premier organization, I think, is a, is a good good way to, to start heading towards that direction. Um, I have ambitions of also winning, uh, you know, the 70 pound title in that, uh, in that organization as well. Um, and then there's some, you know, some fights that I'm, I'm particularly interested in with particular guys, regardless of whether or not it's for a title, uh, guys like Shinya Aoki and, 
um, you know, because I had a previous grappling match with him. I just think it would be a really exciting fight. So I got a lot of work to do at one, I think, um, you know, so long as everything, uh, as long as they're able to manage well during the, uh, during the whole virus outbreak and stuff, and we're able to continue to put on fights afterwards, you know, so long as they're able to recover from that. It seems like everything's going well. Uh, they, they're having me put out a lot of promotional material and breakdowns similar to what I'm doing with my school. They're having me do for their organization. So it seems like they're trying to keep busy as well and put out as much content as they can. So it doesn't seem like they're slowing down anytime soon. So I think they're doing all right. How do you think you match up there with that um, Martin Nguyen? I think I match up pretty well. Uh, Martin Nguyen is very well-rounded. Um, and very comfortable. He's been doing this a lot longer than me. Uh, a lot more fights, uh, much better record. I mean, though, you know, technically I'm undefeated, but I just don't have as, you know, as many fights. So I, I look at what he's done as more impressive than what I have. Um, the main uh, main things to look at with him, he's got a very heavy uh, overhand right that uh, puts a lot of people down, puts a lot of people to sleep. Um, and then he has, you know, has other skills to, to follow that up. You know, I just watched, uh, we did a little breakdown of his fight with uh, Christian Lee the other day, which is one of the other champs. I think he's a 70 pound champ right now. And uh, he guillotined him, you know, with like a figure four guillotine from standing after he hit him pretty hard with one of those overhands. And, you know, despite being a, you know, a jujitsu specialist, I mean, hell, you get, you hit a, get a like Dan Henderson, uh, you know, overhand right to the jaw and, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, what, everything you knew about jujitsu doesn't necessarily count for that much, you know, so uh, that could always happen. You know, he's got a lot of ways that he could finish the fight. It's not like he's just got like one particular thing. Um, but I would say that because an overhand right is like kind of his main specialty uh, and the shoot boxing style that we have is very, uh, very much um, – Strike, you know, whether it's a kick, punch, whatever the case may be, capitalizing on that and then taking somebody down. I do think that it puts him a little bit at risk for a lot of my my game and, and a lot of my specialties. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, it's a it's a huge, uh, huge step up in competition for me. Um, hopefully they give me the fight sometime soon. I know they were trying to buffer like maybe one more fight in between. They had me matched up with somebody that was going to be that was like 12 and 0 uh, from another organization they were going to bring in. So. I don't know if they're still going to make me do that. If maybe they'll push for the title, we'll see. Reed, you're a big I'd MMA fan. Love to fan. see that one. That, that'd be sick. Yeah. You're a big MMA fan. Is there any other uh, fight you would really like to see stylistically for Gary in the future? Just like in general, just or in general, anything. In general, um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of good good matches. Um, maybe you could see that uh, Davi Hamos rematch in oh, in the UFC. Yeah. That'd be- Dude, that was a great fight to win match. That'd be yeah, great to great, see that in MMA. Great fight to win match could be a, a great sure. fight as well. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great that I was able to get a little bit of crossover uh, and have some jujitsu matches with some of these guys when uh, you know when we're not uh, fighting because uh, it's like you know that conversation is always out there like who's the best like has the best like MMA in uh, or sorry best jujitsu in MMA and uh, and at least you can kind of uh, you know make a little bit of an argument you know instead of just like arguing with with no substance like now i at least had an actual match with him so i could say something right <laughs> um you know even though we can't technically fight each other because we're from different organizations you know that sucks but at the same time you get a little bit of crossover and you can see some of your favorite athletes like competing with one another i think that's kind of cool um and it, it adds something to the to the sport it's it's nice that the organizations are able to uh you know, see see past their uh, differences and stuff, and be able to allow us to do that kind of stuff because uh, I think it's really helpful, uh, especially for uh, you know fans crossing over into different sports and stuff like that. What about grappling with your MMA career taking off? How often are we going to see you grappling? 
It's a good question. So kind of what I mentioned before with how long I think it t it's going to take to organize MMA shows, I do think that it's quite possible. Now, this really depends on the way that the, the uh, coronavirus is handled uh, in Asia comparative to the U.S. And that's, that's going to be a big de deciding factor in how quickly, uh, you know, grappling matches get started in the U.S. But I would say, I would say this, they're already still happening. I mean, Chael is still somehow managing to, to yeah, run a promotion, which, which is awesome. I'm glad that he's able to do that. Um, I think that's great. Um, but uh, I would probably say, based on the way things are going, that you'd be more likely to see me in a grappling match before you're going to see me in another MMA fight. Just a guess. I can't really say for sure. I don't have anything lined up. Nobody's contacted me, um, but I'm pretty sure that that's most likely what's going to happen uh, because I like to stay busy. You know, as much as MMA is my main focus, if I don't have a fight, you know, coming up, then, you know, let's do a grappling match. It is what it is. I feel like I feel like Gary might be one of, like, the busiest people in jiu-jitsu and, like, just your team in general, man. I feel like you know, I went out there one time with you guys and did, did a little bit of the trek that you guys do back and forth and got a little taste of it. That was just – that was plenty enough for me. But, man, I feel like I feel like this stuff's maybe hitting you guys even extra hard because you guys are just constantly on the road, back and forth, on a train, up and down the coast there. Like – is this, does it feel like it's hitting you extra hard? Because I, I know you guys start your day at like 5.30 in the morning and y'all don't mm -hmm. end, like you said, till you've, you've taught the kids class at 7.30 p.m. and then done did the 9 p.m. open mat and then yeah. went to bed and woke up at 5.30 the next day. I mean, you guys are crazy busy. So the, the, yeah. the flip side now is just nothing. Mm -hmm. Is it extra yeah, tough? Yeah, it adds... It adds a really uh, weird dynamic to things because I've always, I've always since day one. It's not just like I agree with you. Our team is like tends to be like super busy and put up. Oh, look at this guy! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> nice, look, the clean shave. Yeah, All right. clean cut. Oh, <laughs> so there was a reason. He let, he look, you look like you got like uh, like ten years younger. What the fuck? Yeah, for real. We got Nikki Ryan on the call here. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, looks like Nikki Ryan got some new chest tattoos. <laughs> Gordon, how's it going, man? Good, good. Make it plain. So, Gary, something I wanted to ask you, since you said that uh, with MMA shutdown, it might be likely that you're going to do some grappling. Uh, yeah. Obviously, gra grappling, you don't have the same restrictions you do in MMA where you have to fight people that are in one or whatever. Like, What are some grappling yeah. matches that you think you might uh, like to have? Well, if we're going to talk about crossovers like we were talking about before, I think some... For me, particularly, that I want to, I would, I want to see myself, but also I think all the fans want to see, um, would be me and Crone Gracie, which probably will never happen because I've wanted that match for ever since I lost the first one, and it hasn't happened. And I'm gonna go ahead and guess people have probably offered it to him before. So, uh, <laughs> you know, anytime somebody comes knocking at my door for that match, it's always gonna be a yes for me. Um, so that would be really cool, but I doubt it's going to happen. Uh, then the other one that I, I think is probably a little bit more likely that a lot of people would really love to see would be me versus Ryan Hall. Because uh, yeah. I know Ryan Hall had floated around the idea, I think to Craig Jones or something, the idea that he might uh, be more willing to do a grappling match sometime soon because he's had big uh, big amount of time between his MMA fights as well. Uh, I think that would be real big. I think a, a lot of people would love to see that. So that would be probably like one of my one of the number one matches that I'd be looking for. Um, you know, uh, if if possible, you know, if he's interested. All right. So now that we got you guys both here, uh, something I'd like to hear from you guys is just sort of uh, 
the origins of how you guys started training, how you guys met each other, like, uh, I think how Gordon came to come train under you. And like, first off, we'll start with you, Gary. How did, how did you start training out there in New Jersey? What was your sort of origin story like for, for training? <laughs> Uh, I was telling you when I before Gordon chimed in, um, I was telling you a little bit about how like I've been I kept, always kept myself busy, like uh, even from the start. So I was just doing all different kinds of sports and stuff. Um, but honestly, contact sports were just not a thing that I was allowed to do. <clears throat> I remember I was always interested in like football and stuff because I, I liked the idea of like the, the tackling and like the, the hands on nature of things you know, just being a male, like, you know, you kind of have those, those desires to like test yourself physically. And, uh, my mom was always like, you're not going to do that. You know, it's too dangerous, this, that, and the other thing. Right. So that was never okay. <laughs> and now you're an MMA my, fighter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my cousins, uh, my cousins wrestled, uh, out in Pittsburgh. And, uh, I think because they did it and no, they, none of them got like seriously injured doing it or anything. My mom, got a little bit more comfortable with the idea of doing wrestling or something. And they kind of pushed her to let me start doing that. Uh, so I, I started doing wrestling, um, which, you know, is somewhat closely related to jujitsu cause it's grappling art. Right. And, uh, I met a friend in that, you know, uh, and after a few years or whatever, he started telling me about this jujitsu stuff that he was doing. And I didn't really believe it at all. Uh, I thought it was bullshit because he's like, you know, we, it's like, it's like wrestling, but like we like break each other's arms and strangle each other. But I was like 14 years old. I'm like, what do you mean they let like teenagers like strangle each other and break each other's arms? There's no way anybody allows that to happen, you know. <laughs> so I, I was like, know. it blew my mind. You know, I didn't know what UFC was. I didn't know jujitsu existed. I knew none of that stuff. I uh, wasn't introduced to it. Raised by women for the most part. My mom and my sister, you know, were the only ones around the house, so nobody was there to really expose me to that. And. uh when I finally saw it and like him doing it, I was like, wow, this is so much cooler than wrestling. Like I love wrestling still to this day, but like the idea that you can actually finish somebody, like I can submit somebody was, was a really appealing element to the art, uh, to me. And I kind of got started that way. He went, he took me to his gym. It was like, kind of like a little MMA gym. They did a little bit of jujitsu, a little bit of other things. And I, I kind of, I really liked the jujitsu, uh, but the other stuff wasn't, you know, like a hundred percent there for me. So I fell out of focus with that. Uh, and my mom couldn't drive me as often. And I eventually found Tom, the Blast's gym, like very close to my house. It was like uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe bike ride or so away from my house. So, uh, I could get there myself so I could finally control, you know, how often I showed up and everything like that and how dedicated I was going to be. Um, so then I pretty much just showed up every single day and Tom was like a great influence. And I felt like I learned in the first month of jujitsu at Tom's like more than I had ever learned at the other place. Like it, I trained at the other place for like six months and in one month I was like, Oh my God, like I know so much more. The other place I maybe knew how to do like a rear naked choke and that was it. And I, I just learned so much so fast and it, it seemed like it, he really broke things down really well. And, uh, you know, it was a great, it, it was a, uh, a very lucky, uh, thing that happened in my life. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, you know, and then I took it as far as I did, obviously. And then Gordon, we haven't got to hear from you yet. Gordon, how old were you when you started training? I was 15. 15. Did you start with Gary? Where did you, what school did you start at? No, I didn't. So I started at Brunswick BJJ, which is now Gary's school. Um, but it was ran by one of Ricardo Almeida's brown belts at the time. Um, his name was Hodds. Uh, but he had a full-time job doing security, so he was pretty busy most of the time. So our my like pretty much main instructor for the first two to two and a half years was uh, Miguel Benitez. Um, he now he's a black belt under uh, Tom. He runs a uh, he runs a school in Montgomery, New, Jer New Jersey, called Mon Montgomery BJJ. 
Um, so he was like my first instructor all the way through like two stripe blue belt, I would say. And, uh, I'd met Gary a few times, uh, you know, before that I trained with him. The first time I ever met Gary, he was a brown belt. He just won Nogi worlds. Uh, and I was like a four stripe white belt. I believe. What were your first and, impressions uh, of Gary? Did you like him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I you know he came in and you know, was, like, still like a chip bag white belt who like, would just try to beat up like everybody in the gym. Like didn't know how to train. was just, like a spazzy idiot. And, uh, <laughs> Gary was like my first introduction to someone who would try to get better in training rather than win in training. So Gary was like letting himself get submitted by everybody. And me, like this asshole, like, I'm like, oh yeah, I just submitted Gary. Like I like, let me triangle him. I finished him. And I like, thought like I actually submitted him. And then like the mutts went on and he would train more and more because he was at Rucker. So he would train more and more and Brunswick because it was so much closer than Tom's was. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to be better than this guy in no time. And I'm like, as I got better, he just started going a little harder, and I was like, fuck, I just can't get better than this guy. Um, <laughs> and then, like, somewhere somewhere close to purple belt, I think, um, I think it was, like, a three or four-stripe blue belt, uh, Miguel actually got that's a full-time when, job. That's when Gordon had, finally knew he was better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, okay. Sometimes, like, sometimes, no, I definitely, purple belt was, like, the worst belt for me. I remember one time, this is, like, a little bit off-topic, but... One time I was getting ready for like my first big tournament. It was like a grapplers quest absolute, like a pro division. And like there was some guy who was like good at uh like taking the back from cross body ride, like the truck. And uh I asked Gary to like practice taking my back from there. And I like just got my purple belt and he just like calf sliced me sixteen times in a row, like <laughs> over and over again. And I just couldn't get out and I was like, Yeah, I don't even know why I'm training to jiu anymore. Um, <laughs> but, um like sometime like close to purple belt, uh, Miguel had gotten a full-time job um, at NJ Transit and couldn't make the night classes anymore. Uh, so Gary took over the school as the head instructor, and that's when I started training under Gary full-time. Gary, so Gordon's obviously you know ADCC absolute champ now, pound for pound number one uh, grappler in the world. What was white belt Gordon like? <laughs> uh, somewhat similar to white belt Gary in the sense <laughs> that, that you know he was very wild and uncontrolled and you know, uh, pretty crazy, but he was tough, you know, he was a tough kid, good competitive training. And I, and, and it was something that I, uh, I always desired to have, you know, uh, you know, tough guys in the room, pushing it, uh, pushing the pace and really trying to get better. So I recognized that early on that he had an ambition of being very, very good. And, uh, you know, so I, I started to bring him in as, uh, as a, one of my main training partners, somebody that I trained with more than, uh, anyone else, because despite being like a little, you know, a little wild or whatever, it, it wasn't like he was, um, wasn't like he, he trained in a way that like was going to hurt you or anything. He's controlled enough that he wasn't like a, so such a spazzy retard. He's like elbowing you in the face every 10 seconds. So, uh, you know, it was good controlled training to, uh, and, and push the pace and everything like that. So it was great to, to, to have him, but, uh, Gordon as a white belt was, uh, the main difference between me as a white belt and Gordon as a white belt is Gordon's level of confidence. So <laughs> I, I always considered myself to be a relatively confident person. Um, but Gordon, every, it's like, it's so much more so with him. Like, you don't, you, it's hard for you guys to really understand at, at that point. I think we time, got a little a bit of an idea, but <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember around like blue and purple belt, Gordon still like, wasn't really a personality in the jiu-jitsu community because well, number one, social media wasn't as big in the jiu-jitsu community, but number two, like, you know, he just hadn't had like a big enough match yet where anybody gave a shit what he was doing. Um, so 
I knew exactly who he was as a person. Like I knew how confident and cocky he was and like exactly how he was. So I would constantly like make fun of him online and yeah. like talk shit because I had to put this kid down. Like you don't understand, <laughs> but if I didn't put him down, like his head would just would have grown as big as Tom DeBlass's and uh, in, in a physical, in a physical sense. So <laughs> um, I had to, I had to try to keep him in check. And then everybody would always criticize me like, why are you so mean to that kid? I don't understand. You know, That's what, I used so, to think the same thing. I used to, when I first found out about him, he was like a teenager and you used to make fun of him on your Instagram. And I'd be like, man, why is Gary always riding this kid? But, yeah. <laughs> so now, you know, uh, he's a product of a, of a lot of abuse. And now maybe he just, he just extends that abuse onto to you guys now. Uh, and everybody that criticizes him on social media. But um, yeah, man, it was a really, he was a really dedicated kid, um, but, but just very confident in himself. And it, and that's part of the reason I think he, it, it kept driving him to come back. A lot of people in jiu-jitsu, I realizations about not having an ego because I actually think it's, it's kind of a, the opposite of the conversation that really should be had. Like if you have so much of an ego, like if Gordon was so cocky and confident that he came in one day, I beat his ass, and he was like, fuck this, never came back. Yeah, that's a problem. Like, if you have so much an ego that you can't lose and continue to try to get better at something, yeah, that's a problem. But the idea that, that like, oh, you just shouldn't care, like, that's just, that's retarded. 100% when you get submitted, like, you should be like, oh, man, I'm, you should be upset with yourself, come back and try to do things better. And so that, your ego drives that. Your, your ego drives like your, your need to get better than other people. And like a guy like Gordon or even a guy like me is a little different than the average guy that goes into the room. The average guy goes into, into training thinking, you know what? I'm not okay with walking around in life and having people being able to beat me up. Like I don't want to be in a situation where somebody's going to kick my ass and I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. So I'm going to try jujitsu. So then you try jujitsu. And you get to the maybe you get to like blue belt level or whatever, and you're probably going to be able to kick most people's ass that are on the street. No problem. You know, somebody attacks you, you're going to be able to defend yourself. But then you're not a guy like me or Gordon's not happy with that because we're still getting tapped out in the training room. We're like, this is fucking bullshit. We got to get better. Like, I got to be able to submit that guy. And then you want to be able to submit everybody in your training environment. And then that's not enough. You're like, well, I can submit everybody in my training environment, but there's still black belts out there that are way better than me. You know, so I got to be able to beat those guys. And now all of a sudden you're trying to be the absolute best in the world. So your ego drives all that. If you don't have that will to want to be better than everyone, like you'll never succeed in this sport. Like you'll never be the best in the world. It's impossible. How did you guys end up? Uh, obviously, you guys have a lot of good, great instructors out there in New Jersey. But how do you guys end up uh, starting to train with John in New York? How do you guys make that transition to going to train with him every day? Well, for me. It first started when uh, Frankie Edgar, um, I forget which training camp it was, but he kind of started popping in uh, to New York here and there. Um, he would go on in on Mondays was like a real big day in the city for all the pro uh, MMA athletes and uh, like pro jiu-jitsu guys. Well, back then there really wasn't like a pro jiu-jitsu team, I wouldn't say, like for Nogi. So it was like mostly like the pro MMA athletes would all meet on Mondays. And uh, he... I don't know if I, I don't know if he invited me or if I invited myself. I can't really remember, <laughs> but I, I knew that I wanted to be, you know, in a room with, with the tough guys. And, uh, so I, follow, uh, I got, I got in the car with him and, uh, Chris Liguori 
And I forget if there was anybody else that would come up with us. And I would go like probably once every two weeks or so up to New York. And uh, I didn't really understand the significance of, of like training under John. Like I didn't know he was like GSP's coach or anything like that. But I did recognize that like he had a good handle on uh, the sport and he understood uh, elements of the sport a little deeper than like other people. But it, it took a little bit longer to like develop a relationship with him because John is a very closed off person. So <laughs> I kind of just like came in for a few training sessions here and there and I would watch and I'd watch him train and Brian Glick and um, and see these guys and try to learn as much as I possibly could. Um, but at the time, I was so far away in South Jersey, it just wasn't possible for me to get there all the time. Uh, and then eventually, uh, like Gordon said, I, I went to Rutgers. So I was a little bit closer to the city. So I'd add in, I would say probably once a week, maybe I started going into the city and having training sessions. And now I, I was doing it on my own time. You know, I wasn't just going up with Frankie or anything. And uh, I just progressed, kept going more and more. It became more convenient uh, because I was then teaching night classes and things. And they have an afternoon and morning class there. Um, and I met uh, Eddie Cummings up there uh, sometime around when I won my first ADCC trials. And Eddie Cummings had uh, told me like, hey, man, like you should show up to the morning class, which I just didn't know existed, by the way. I had no idea that there was like this like this like 6 a.m. class where a bunch of like complete lunatics would show up like trying to kill each other like early in the morning in the middle of a basement in New York City. And uh, <laughs> that my experience with the morning class was horrible. It, the morning class basically ruined my life. Um, <laughs> Were you a morning guy? <laughs> I am not a morning person. It's just so bad. Go ahead, Gordon. You look like you're going to say something. Yeah. The morning class is horrible. Just, <laughs> just, what? what? It starts like 7.45 now, so you have to wake up at like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning to wake up and like drive through like two hours traffic, like bumper to bumper traffic, and then get into like shitty New York and like get your mm -hmm. shit kicked in by everybody at Enzo's. Like it's terrible. Yeah. And it's, it's weird, man. It's like there's different killers that show up to the morning class than show up to the afternoon class. There's like guys like uh, Doug Plankovic who are, are like longtime students of John. He's like this jacked gorilla looking guy and he just like – it's just it's you you train and you're like oh I'm a professional athlete that does this for a living and you're like you're like I, I'm obviously going to be much better than this guy even if he is a little bit bigger and stronger and you just get mauled and you're just like what just happened like I don't understand it's a deceptive and, room there especially in the morning <laughs> because like there's a lot there is like a lot of older looking guys and stuff like that you know and then you sure. go in and those guys just murder you just kill you I mean I, I remember I rolled with um Silver Fox and I think I think yeah. I rolled with Doug too. And yeah. those guys just man, they killed me. <laughs> killed me. It's what crazy. is it? What is it about John? Uh, maybe we'll start with Gordon because he doesn't talk too much, and then go to Gary. Sure. What is it about John that? Uh, what's so different about him that, like, I mean, obviously his students are having su such success. I mean, what is he doing better than everybody else as an instructor? Um, so I think I think the main thing is um, is that he starts off by picking the main areas in current jiu-jitsu which have the biggest hole and making us as students good at those things. Um, so, you know, first it was leg locks. Uh, so, you know, we were initially burst onto the scene and we were beating people who had been training way longer than us, who were way bigger than us, who, had, who were way more accomplished than us um, by using specific movements that they weren't quite used to. Um, but I think the biggest thing for John is he takes 
the holes in the sport and he said, okay, where, where does everybody suck? Or where is the biggest issue in, in current grappling today? And then that's what we work on. So that's, I think, the biggest thing. Because it's, it's a good point to, to point out that that John's watching a lot of, of film all the time, right? It seems like John's always, whenever I see him there in, in the back, he, he's, he's watching matches, right? Break it, breaking that down. So he's got he's got just like this encyclopedic knowledge of of not only jujitsu matches but wrestling matches and like sambo matches. It seems like and, and you know all these other martial arts. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gary. I Gary. Remember, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say. Uh, literally today, uh, it was uh, funny. I was talking to John a little bit, and he was saying um, he was talking about exactly like the same sort of concept Gordon was talking about. Uh, John always has like these little tangents that he goes on about like world history and stuff. And he was talking about the Spartans and how, um, he, uh, he said that like the people that, uh, ended up, uh, defeating the Spartans, um, and, and becoming better than them basically, um, implemented parts of what they were doing, uh, and then tried to make improvements on it. Um, so they like innovated, right. They used longer spears, uh, they increased the size, uh, the depth of the phalanx. And eventually we're able to overcome like what was that area's uh, premier fighting force for, you know, a very long period of time. And uh, that's that's really a big part of this is like what Gordon was just saying is, is trying to find ways to innovate. Um, so, so important. And you're not always going to succeed. Sometimes your innovations are going to suck. You know, we make mistakes all the time. We think something's going to be good and then it doesn't end up end up being great. But, uh, you know, that's uh, I think that's how we stay ahead of the curve. Every everything that we get a little bit better at and that starts to spread around, we just start innovating somewhere else. But go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, I can't remember what my question was then. I just had a one an interesting one, though. You guys have sort of like sort of outgoing personalities, especially like at you see you guys show up at tournaments. Gary, you were in a, a American flag like robe at ADCC. Gordon, you showed up at tournaments dressed as a king. John's such a reserved guy. Does he ever see you guys like this and just like, oh, man, what the hell? <laughs> Uh, uh John, yeah john john for the most part like looks at us behind closed doors and he just like he just laughs he, <laughs> i mean what else can you do? um you know he gets, a, he gets a kick out of it for the most part um you know it's not, not something that he would ever do or advise um but when he's <laughs> doing it he definitely, he definitely gets a kick out of it yeah but he has conversations I remember with us nogi worlds i sent the picture of, to tom uh of me like the day before i was going to compete i was there coaching so I sent a picture of Tom with like the crown, the robe on, and Tom's like, "Holy fuck!" He's like, "Are you actually wearing that around the around the arena right now?" I'm like, "Yeah, I know. We'll see how it goes." Yeah, he has had conversations with us though uh, in the past, like explaining to us like the difference between amateurism and professionalism in sports, and how there's a huge component of entertainment value and entertainment factor that factors into. Uh, how likable, maybe likable is not necessarily the word. It's not just skill. Um, it's also based on, you know, your entertainment value. What you actually, what are you bringing to the table that opens people's eyes and they're like, oh, what the hell, what is that, right? So like, you know, Gordon wearing some outfit or me or whatever the case may be, like you may laugh and you may say like, oh, that's stupid or whatever the case may be. And people may have their different opinions about it. Um, but if it draws attention to the athlete, it's helping you as a professional. Um, it's helping sell tickets. If people are more excited to see you, you know, grapple because you have a gimmick or you have some some little thing that people laugh at or whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, you're increasing your uh, your viability as a professional. So 
Um, he has had conversations with us about that and talking about how um, not necessarily that we should show up <laughs> to grappling tournaments with a crown and a cape on, um, <laughs> but that it is important for us to have, you know, some sort of a personality outside of, uh, you know, just our skills and grappling and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think especially nowadays, there's so many different options in entertainment out there with all the different streaming sites gotta and everything. Stand out yeah, a you got to stand right? out to get people to tune in. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to hear a little bit of you guys talk about uh, training with the other one currently. What it's like, like Gordon, what's around like if you got to train with Gary? What's Gary like to roll with? Uh, so it's actually an interesting clash of styles. Like my whole game is about negation of movement, and Gary's whole game is about creating movement to create scrambles to get to better positions. Um, so it's pretty much a whole round of like me trying my best to like, her, like hold like a tiny little squirmy ma- a man like in the, in, a, in the same place. <laughs> and Not doing like, you any favors there, Gary. <laughs> and Gary being like just, just, flipping, just barely flipping out of every position and I'm like ending up on my back or something or like on my legs and like get like I'm like an inch away from his back, I like work to like pass his guard. I hold him down for like three minutes, and the next thing you know, I'm like in an inverted heel looking cross Ashi Grami. I'm like, he's fucking serious. <laughs> um, so it's like an interesting clash of like the, the complete opposite game. It's like a super, like a super big and unathletic, like idiot in me, like trying to hold Gary down, and like a very precise, like movement based game that Gary's trying to imply, uh, employ to uh, to make things happen. Of course, yeah. we, we we saw that that match there. At uh, at ADCC, I think we, I think we've heard from Gordon, but I'm not sure. Have you, have we heard uh, Gary's take on, on that match? And, and what I don't know if I've ever commented. Have you heard, commented ever said anything about that? Yeah, so obviously that was a, a crazy match, ADCC. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I remember Gordon. I believe Gordon said it was it was one of the hardest matches or, or hardest moments of, of his uh, grappling career. You can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Gordon. There, but I'm just curious um, what your take, what your opposite side there was uh, on the match, Gary. Oh, yeah. Well, so I went into the match, like, so couple, a little bit of history. So like like we said, when we used to train way back when, um, you know, Gordon was uh, closer to my size and uh, we had, you know, competitive rounds and this, that, and the other thing. And it was just a little bit of a, a little bit different. Nowadays, we just don't train with each other as often. Back then, it was literally like, you know, we're training together every single day, you know, multiple rounds uh, because we were closely related in size and it made more sense. You know, now with like injuries and stuff for me and for Gordon, like making sure that he's training with training partners that are actually his size. I mean, uh, you know, he just we just only train with each other more occasionally now. Um, so every time we train, when we train, I'm like going 150 percent. Whereas back then, like it, I wasn't really doing it because like now I feel like if we're going to train and, and it's like, oh, well, now we're going to train like twice a week, three times a week. I got to give him the best round that I possibly can because you know, he's, he's preparing for whatever. And also it's a little bit of an ego thing for me because I want to try to beat that big fuck. So, uh, (laughs) but obviously I I know where I stand compared to Gordon and you know, the way that he reacts to my movements and things like that, because we train with each other in the gym. So when we we went out for this match, um, I knew that there's a pretty good chance I was going to get submitted considering what happens in the gym, (laughs) but, uh, I still wanted to go out there, you know, give my all, try my best. And, uh, uh, I, went for uh, an entry really quickly uh into the legs i think i think i turned you know i turned my hips to face gordon and tried to go for a leg entry that just like wasn't there and he got onto my back pretty quickly in the match and the first thing that i was thinking as soon as he got to my back was fuck everybody's gonna think this is fake now 
Like nobody's gonna believe that this is a real match because like in the first ten like two seconds like Gordon took my back and like you know obviously like we have tough rounds in the gym but you know you make mistakes man and uh, he gets to my back and I'm like okay Gary you have to do every fucking possible thing you can to make sure that like you don't get submitted like quickly but like pretty soon after that I think even the entry itself I can't see I don't know if you guys are still playing it. the entry itself happened like right at the beginning as soon as he took my back and so i'm now i have like one hand and i'm fucking like he's like cross facing me with the other hand trying to strangle and i'm just like okay basically this is where i would normally just tap because i know for sure i'm gonna get submitted but <laughs> i have to fight fucking tooth and nail so that nobody like thinks it's gonna be like a fake match or something so i'm literally like <laughs> chin's tucked i'm like trying to fucking like peel with one hand he just hold and staples my hand down so it's literally just my face versus the choke and you know it's fucking terrible um but uh and i'm like gurgling you know as he's trying to strangle trying to hold on as long as i possibly can but uh you know going into the match and, and during the match and everything like that i wasn't like bummed out or anything that he won you know i tell people this all the time um that like especially as a teacher like the the biggest, the best you could ever hope for is that any your athlete uh, does better than you did. You know, um, uh, if if you're a teacher that wants everybody that you teach to never become as good as you, you're not a very good teacher. Um, so for me, any victory that Gordon has is almost it almost feels twice as good as any victory that I have. You know, as as competitive as we are and as ego driven as I am in the gym or whatever the case may be, but in real life, when he actually accomplishes something, man, like I'm so proud. I'm so happy for him. So. You know, despite being, you know, competitive and stuff, whatever, I love to win the match, of course. But, like, you know, when he wins, like, I win in my eyes, you know. So um, it was a good moment for me. I didn't really, like, I wasn't, like, upset. You know, I know, like, you know, obviously for Gordon it's a little different, but, yeah. All right, let's say, hip, hip, hypothetically, you said you went for a leg entry in the beginning. Let's say that worked out. You get him. You got Gordon dead to right. You got him in a heel hook. Your friend, yeah. your, your old student, ADCC Great absolute tension. title on the, you, You're breaking his leg? Fuck yeah. break <laughs> Doesn't have to be ABCC. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesday night, hundred percent in the morning I, I class. Have yeah. to, like, I have to like try to break Gordon because it's just, dude. It's he's got a lot going for him, man. He's fucking he's, he's bigger, stronger. A lot of times, like you know, a lot of in, in a lot of places, like he's he's better than me. So you know, whenever I get my opportunity, I got to go for it because I know the thing thing with Gordon is too is like he adapted that. Um, you know that very good defensive ability that I have where you know he likes to do a lot of his rounds just giving people submissions and things like that so a big a big problem is, is like if I just go for an inverted heel hook and I just kind of like lightly hold on to it Gordon is skilled enough that he's going to be able to get out of that like fairly quickly so I can't just like kind of lackadaisically go for a submission if I have a submission on Gordon it's got to I got to pretty much got to go for broke or there's zero chance I'm submitting him so uh yeah it's 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 a tough thing tough to level for me so no <laughs> but, apprehension yeah. <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to fight no, Gordon, zero, or because people, people said it, it's it's like a little weird to fight a friend sometimes. Is that it wasn't weird at all? I mean, I, I guess a little, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's something we do every day, and and like you know, we're hyper competitive and stuff. Like, I think uh, I think he would have been a little pissed if he lost, but at the same time, like he would have been happy for me. At least I'd like to believe that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I don't I don't know. I didn't I didn't take it. Uh, I took it seriously in the sense that I'm competing in ADCC, but like when the result of it, I didn't take that like to heart or anything, you know. 
Gordon, uh, I think somebody that you know everybody's obviously been looking forward to coming out of your guys' camp for a while is your brother. How's your How's your brother's uh, progression doing? What do you What do you think we can expect out of your brother in the immediate future? And how's, how are things going with him? Man, that little corner is way too good. Um, you know, everyone everyone always asks like, you know, is Nikki going to be better than you? It's like Nikki like dropped out of high school at fourteen and started training full time with John. Like, I didn't start training full time with John until I was like nineteen. It should be like he should be way better than me. It's, if I went back and competed against Nikki now when I was 18, he'd beat the shit out um, <laughs> of As long as he keeps training, he's definitely going to be way better than I, than I ever will be. Gary, uh, he's got to be close to your size now, huh? Yeah, yeah. Me and Nikki uh, have some really competitive roles. And, like, he's – I would say that he's been lifting and stuff now too, so he's a little bit stronger. And he's always been – he's always had, like, a really weird freak strength. Like, even before he, like, kind of lifted and stuff and even before he got a little bit bigger. Like, it's crazy. Like, most most kids, like, when they're, like, 15 years old, like, even if they kind of, like, went through puberty a little bit, like, they're a little bit athletic, they're just – they just don't quite have that strength that, like, an adult man does. But, like, Nikki always found a way either to get around that or just – like, he was strong, man. Uh, but he definitely feels stronger than ever now. And yeah, he's very, he's very much like, he might not be like, um, uh, I don't know, like quite my size in, in, in pretty much, uh, yeah, man, I, he gives me some of my best, most competitive roles. I really love, uh, uh, rolling with Nikki, uh, super, like he's super athletic and like very smart and technical and, uh, just, he comes up with a lot of really great stuff. Like I have a, I have a great time collaborating with Nikki, you know? Um, I'll share something that has been working with me and, and then he shares something that he's been working really well for him. And, um, it, it really works out well too, because, uh, me and him, uh, just the same way me and Gordon are, have very different approaches to the sport and different things that appeal to us and different uh, specialties and stuff. So I get a lot from him and I think he gets a lot from me and it's been really cool recently to see him, uh, get so much better at the stand up portion of jujitsu. Cause I, I was, I was begging him and his brother to like take wrestling more seriously, like back when they, back when his brother was like a purple belt, and and I, I was doing like wrestling privates and stuff, and I'm like, guys, you gotta, you gotta learn how to do this. Like someday it's gonna be important, it's gonna help you guys. And Gordon would be like, this is fucking bullshit, this is stupid. <laughs> and his brother would be like, I hate wrestling, this is garbage. And now it's like some of their favorite stuff to do, you know. As we know, Gordon's like now competing against some of the best wrestlers in the world, and. You know, Nikki, if you see it, <clears throat> see his like ADCC highlights and stuff, he's, he's taking people down like a savage. So it's really cool to see. Gordon, how often you roll with your brother these days? You're a lot bigger than him, but you guys roll? Uh, probably, it depends. If he's like getting ready for a tournament or if he's cutting weight, he tries to, he like stays away from me and tends to stay, stay with guys like more his size. Um, but right now, when there's like nothing coming up, uh, we train, uh, I mean, Maybe once, once or twice a week, um, maybe three times a week, and we do you know ten sessions or so. So um, more than I train with Gary because Gary's more focused on MMA and he's got some uh, you know chronic injuries that he has to worry about. So I'm always afraid to hurt Gary um, in certain situations. <laughs> but Nikki's a young little fucking freak, so I don't really care <laughs> if I break it. All right, let's yeah. say let's say you and Nikki meet in the ADCC Absolute one day. Who do you think Big Gord's rooting for? Who, 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 whose corner is Big Gordon? I'll, I'll tell you the answer to that question right now. He's definitely rooting for Gordon. <laughs> I, I think it's easier for me to answer, but 
He, what what did he say that one tournament? I or or was it? It was the picture, right? He posted a picture. I think it was on was on uh, Nikki's birthday, maybe, and it was like a picture of you. And he said, like, you know, my son, I'm so proud of my son. Oh yeah, it was it was, it was Nikki's birthday, and he realized it's Nikki's birthday to his credit. And he posts a picture. Of, <laughs> he, posts a picture of, he posts a picture of me. I don't know if he did it on purpose or by accident. And he just goes. My number one son as the caption. <laughs> Nikki's birthday? Dude, my my favorite thing at ADCC was your dad just posted up in one of the coaches' chairs and just sitting there and like people who coming up who are supposed to be coaching an athlete right now and just like getting that squatting down on their knees next to him because the, the coach's chair is taken. He's just chilling in it all day long. <laughs> Mo is Mo is like, like I'm trying to tell it's like everyone's trying to tell me this this old guy has to move. He's like, Yeah, he's like that's big door. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> People are getting kicked out of the venue. Meanwhile, yeah. Big Gore's got his own seat right right next to the man. Yeah, literally just <laughs> sitting in a coach's chair watching the event. Mo like goes up to him and he's like, he's like, listen, Big Gore, like Sunday's the big day. Like they're not gonna let you sit here. And he's like, I was here yesterday, and I'm gonna be here today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no arguing. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. All right, speaking of ADCC. Uh, we already did this with Gordon and Craig when they were on, and Nick uh, Rodriguez. I wanted to play some of uh, Gary's uh, ADCC uh, highlights and just watch them with you guys, and just you know, a good one right bullshit here. about this stuff. This Dude. is one that I mean, this is one that everybody goes this crazy about. This is going to be in like a you know a, a museum, maybe about grappling. First off, I love that Gordon is is doing this uh, interview right now, like in tiny tight underwear. This is amazing. <laughs> That's how we get the viewers. That's how we get the viewers here. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, he always calls in in his underwear. We're used to it. Oh my god! Yeah, amazing. But uh, this was this this was the, even though you guys were the same weight class, I think this was the absolute, right? Absolute first round. Yeah, first round of the absolute. Uh, what, what were you thinking about this one? Edwin Style is sort of uh, it, it works out well for going for this Connie Basami into the hill, right, Gary? Yeah. So I, w- I actually had a conversation with one of my teammates. Um, our boss, well, one of my, it's one of my students actually, but also, you know, trains with us at Enzo's. And he was like, he like walked over to me, like leading up to the match. And I was thinking this myself, but like, I didn't communicate it with anybody. Um, like he opened for Connie Basami, but like he was, Edwin was like maybe six feet from us. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, our boss. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, thankfully he didn't hear him, and uh, yeah, man, I was I was thinking about it from the beginning of the match, and wow. it just so happens that uh, like I think he allowed an underhook fairly quickly because he really loves that flying triangle, and I promise you this, and I mentioned this to him as well, if I didn't immediately go for that scissor takedown, he would have flying triangled me, and I know it because I've seen him grapple a million times, and uh, he's got a, such a savage flying triangle, and I was like, I a lot of times when I set up the scissor takedown, I I actually take a little bit of time like. I make sure I pull them to an angle. I, I really set it up, but there I was like, "All right, I got the underhook. We got to go," and um, ended up paying off pretty well. <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh, got to feel good, huh? That's like an all-time highlight submission to hit in ADCC. Absolutely, it's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, man. So I was super excited about that, especially because uh, you know uh, I I obviously knew that uh, I didn't progress farther than uh, third place in in the tournament. And obviously, wanted to win and stuff. So the absolute's always like a cool like chance to kind of. Uh, you know, continue to show your skills because 
every time you compete, man, like you're always just the moment it's over and you know you don't have any more matches, you're just dying to do it again. You're like, oh man, I, I wish I could just have one more, one more. And the absolute gives you a chance to do that. And I'm so glad they let me and Gordon uh, you know, participate. So that was cool. Having a hard time looking at so you here. Dirty. Your dyed blonde facial hair looks so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> how many times you, you um, how many times you drill that move a day? You think, or, or what, do you drill that move often? Pretty often. Um, not every day though. Um, John is a little scared to to have me do it around uh, the rest of the gym because. Uh, it starts to give people the idea that they should also do it. And uh, during training, we actually don't allow the move. Like even if I'm training with Gordon, even me being lighter than him and us both being good, like we don't do the move in training because it's just any wrong move, man, and you just land on somebody's exposed leg, your, your ass lands on somebody's knee. And even if Gordon's bigger than me, like, man, it's 170 pounds landing on the outside of your knee. It's not a safe thing, man. So uh, what we do is basically like after the gym clears out a little bit, uh, during sessions when uh, we're getting close to competition, John will just have us do some Kani Basami drills and uh, we'll practice them and drill them, uh, but we never actually do them live. Uh, this way we can, we can kind of, you know, we, we get all the skills down and repetitions and everything like that, the muscle memory for the move, um, but, you know, we don't have the danger of uh, trying to practice it in live training. It's one of those things that it kind of sucks to not be able to practice it live because that's the, the way to, to best get anything done, you know, with resistance. and But... Uh, you just can't do it. It's just way, there's way too much of a liability. You don't want to have somebody. And it's not like you're, it's not like somebody's going to be out for a week because you land on their knee. Like, dude, that's, that could be a career ending injury. Uh, it reminds me of one of my all time favorite MMA moments, uh, Ryle Chonin on Anderson Silva at pride. Remember that one? Oh yeah, man. That was great. That was legendary. Uh, Gordon, uh, Gary ever tried this, uh, Connie Basami on you in training? Uh, not live. I've maybe drove him a lot, but, um, there's only, 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 only people who have ever really jumped scissors on me are visitors that don't know it and then like get yelled at by John. Um, but none of the guys ever really try them. Gary does a lot of roll, like Victor roll um, entries where he rolls through and he does like a, almost like a forward roll, but he never jumps into my legs. But he does, yeah. he does a lot of rolling entries, but never jumps onto me. I actually just uh, put out a new DVD on like transition between submissions and standing grappling, like doing like wrestling into into submissions. And that's one of the things that I cover. I show the Kani Bisami, obviously, uh, but I explain that, like, the safer way to do it is the rolling into the legs. I still do that even in, like, live grappling, um, you know, because it's you're not jumping onto the person's knee. You can do it in a way that's much safer. Uh, so there's ways to, to kind of get the same job done, you know? Yeah, what's your uh, instruction? It's like shoot to kill or something, I think it's called, right? Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, bang, yeah, that's, some, that's something I've always really admired about your style is you're a guy who uh, – blends the wrestling together with submission grappling well where it's not like you're just out there trying to wrestle like me and gordon have talked about this on the show before where some guys they they learn wrestling and they're just like it's in a folk style wrestling match like you you really blend wrestling together with submission grappling pretty well yeah one of my one of the favorite my favorite concepts that john ever brought across uh to us is that we're always looking for submission opportunity uh from every everywhere we possibly can um so and that's like our main goal and so Whenever, whatever we're doing, whether it's guard passing, whether it's takedowns, you know, whether it's trying to sweep somebody, the thought in the back of our minds always has to be if the person, you know, posts their arm or if they react and hold, finish this person with a double leg, the main goal always is to submit the guy. 
right? The main goal is not necessarily pass this guy to mount. Eventually, the goal is to submit the person. Now, passing to mount may facilitate a submission, right? Like you see Gordon do that all the time with the head and arm strangle. Like, of course, that's, that's a great way to go about it. But if somebody exposes something that makes them vulnerable to a submission ahead of time, man, you got to take that opportunity. And a lot of these matches, whether it's short time or whether it's a submission only type of thing, you got to spend the most amount of time possible looking for submission. And if I'm wrestling and I'm looking for submissions on you while I'm wrestling and you're wrestling me and you're just looking to get a double leg, I'm way more likely to end up in submission situations than you are, right? So uh, that helps us kind of create an uh, imbalance in the submission rate of me compared to you when we're fighting. All right, uh, Caleb, if you want to just play the next one, I'm just going to play this entire match in full, and then we can just bullshit about it while it goes on, just because, I mean, this was an, <laughs> all, this, this was an awesome match. This was, I, I believe, you, this was the 2019 Best. match of the year for Flow Grappling Awards, correct? Yeah, yes, sir. So. Yes, sir. Incredible match. Not the first time you guys have met. Man, I thought on that on that throw by there, that slide by, that I was going to finish the match like within the first minute. Like I really thought I was going to get his back. Like, see, I followed so well here, and then he hits that hit that one trip, and then I lost him a little bit. I'm like, damn it! I really thought I had him, man. Gordon, I remember you were sitting there on the side watching this, not far from me. What did you think watching this match when it happened? Uh, I'm always really mad when I watch Gary compete. Same with Tom. Tom, Tom is like mad because Gary gives up positions. But I'm usually mad. I don't really care if he gives up positions. But what makes me mad is I know that he's just not even trying in most of his matches. I'm like, I know that you see is just not nearly as good as Gary actually is. And the few times that he does actually turn it up and just try to beat the shit out of everyone, you see like the best matches ever. You see like him and Paul Harris um, when he won the one. Mm. When you see the 155 EBI where he like smiths everybody quickly, like that, he's like every now and then you see Gary like really turn it up. And I saw in this match, I was like, okay, like Gary's trying, like to go, like Gary's trying to. Win. So nice. I, I was just the first like couple seconds of the match, I just saw him. I was like sitting on the sidelines, and I was like, all right, this is gonna be this is gonna be a bar murder. <laughs> what, what was the strategy here in this match, Gary? You, you fought uh, Hanato before. Yeah. You guys had had an interesting match. Um, yeah. You know, this time around, you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into, right? Hanato is kind of a you know, a um, hard guy to get a hold of, right? So what, yes. what was the strategy going into this match? Well, first off, let me talk about why I'm going 150% in this match comparative to what Gordon's talking about. Uh, in our previous match, uh, he really pissed me off. And uh, they made comments afterwards that pissed me off as well. Not necessarily anything that crazy, but uh, in the previous match, I think we went out of bounds or something, and the referee was telling us to stop, and he just, like, kept going. And I was just, but like to a point where it didn't make any sense. You know, the referee was like, literally like, come on guys. And, uh, you know, so I was pissed about that when in our match. And then, you know, I lost by a point or something. Who knows? I don't really remember. And uh, I think afterwards he was saying, he gave some interview and the interview said something to the effect. Oh, I remember he like, acted like he didn't know why I was pissed off and wouldn't shake his hand at the end of the match, but he knew exactly why. And in the interview, he was like, yeah, you know, I don't know why, you know, sometimes people get upset when you beat them, you know, and I'm like, so I was like, I was like, I really have to like try to kill this guy. Like there's no, I can't leave any room for, for uh, me to, to go to sleep that night and go, oh man, like I could have done something different to beat the shit out of him. Um, so I literally just poured my heart and soul into this. I was gritting my teeth, walking back and forth probably for 20 minutes before this match started. And I just wow. knew I was out for blood, uh, the entire time. 
Um, so that's if you wanted a little inside look into what I was thinking, that's what it was. <laughs> so the strategy for the match was to just go the whole time. Uh, yeah, as much as much offense as possible, and it's kind of like what Gordon said. I mean, when you see me do that, and uh, you see me be a, a very different, much more effective grappler. So uh, it was offense the whole time. Um, I didn't really have. Uh, it's not like I, I walked in like with the Edwin match, and I was like, "Oh, this guy stands really tall. Like I'm gonna do this." Um, yeah. Then there was that one movement, and they we like land out of bounds, and. I remember, I remember that happening and being like, oh, God damn it. Cause I knew when we were going to reset, cause it's so different. Like when you land and mm-hmm. then like you go to try to escape and then when somebody resets, like, of course, this is like to take down attempts and attempts at back takes. And then all people are going to remember me getting pinned in side control. <laughs> but thankfully the rest of the match didn't quite go that way. But, uh, <laughs> I remember being so pissed that this happened. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because when when you land, yeah, you can try and you know uh, squirm your way out of there. But a, a reset, they're always going to take their their ultimate side control that they can get. Yeah, the res- the resets are always rough, man. It sucks, but it is what it is. And this no was such this was such a spectacle match because I feel like it was like one of the last matches of day one. And you're right, yeah. like Gordon and and I remember Nikki and the whole team were in like, but it was like everybody was kind of crowded yeah. around your match sure. there, and, and it was pretty much like I feel like everybody in the whole place was was watching that match. And I don't know. I guess you, you've been to a bunch of ADCCs, Gary, and I feel like you've been to some ADCCs with with nobody in in the stands. Is it different? Do you get a different feeling when you when you do these matches and you can feel the entire arena watching you? Because right, some of these 2013. Where was um, is that China or is that yeah China Beijing? Yeah, and yeah, it, it so didn't seem like a lot of the, people there. So go ahead. This sorry. is the first ADCC that was ever like really promotionally put together with an intent upon creating a spectacle. So every other ADCC is just kind of set up. It was almost set up in this, despite the fact that they're paying the athletes. Uh, it was set up like an amateur tournament, right? So it was just set up basically for people to compete and, you know, see who's the best. And that's, you know, kind of like what an amateur tournament is. You're, it's just based off of like, you know, uh, people going in and, and competing. Um, but this this event was set up to entertain people, right? So that's the, that's the main difference. And this is kind of what I was talking about with like what John talked to us about the difference between amateur and professional athletes. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it was a completely different feeling. I mean, you, you walk out there and you see a crowd full of people cheering for you or against you or whatever the case may be. It's, it's just so much more, um, I, I, you get so much more out of it, like emotionally, you know? Um, and despite grappling being a very cognitive sport and all that kind of stuff, like there is something to, you know, feeling a crowd full of people, uh, you know, yelling and screaming compared to just, you know, a room of like 10 guys kind of up in the stands only supporting the, you know, maybe one athlete or something. You know, I had like my mom there with me in Beijing. <laughs> That's pretty yeah, much I, it. I, I didn't I, even I've have been, a corner in Beijing. I've been, watch, <laughs> I've been re-watching a lot of old ADCCs and I was watching Barcelona 2009 in the finals. Like there's nobody there. Yeah. There's, it's empty. But Gordon, uh, when you're there watching Gary, because uh, you're somebody, you, you play a lot more, I guess I would say, conservative game. You like to be in control a little bit more. Gary likes a little bit more wide open. Do you get any anxiety watching this, watching watching how wild his matches are compared to the way you like to have it? Uh, no, because I know that everything he's – well, we have very <clears throat> different games. I know that everything he's doing is very calculated. Um, the only I get nervous watching people uh, like Nicky Rod or like uh, I know <laughs> – I know, I know like that – 
what he's doing looks kind of like what Gary's doing, where there's like a lot of action. But uh, he doesn't know as much jujitsu as Gary. He doesn't he doesn't know the protocols that that Gary does. Like he doesn't have as much time under John. Um, so uh, I look at Gary and I know that Gary's not going to make like an amateur tactical mistake and like give up give up a point or give up two points. Where like Nicky Rod like not even does Nicky Rod not know the rules. He doesn't even know who the people are in his division. <laughs> like he has no idea who he's getting ready to compete against. Um, so, like I know Woo! I know that Gary is like, a seasoned veteran and has been. Been competing, you know, for and especially ADCC for, you know, since 2013. Um, so this is his, you know, fourth, fifth, or you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, ADCC. Um, so I know that he's, uh, I know that he's ready to, to you know, to make stuff happen when it has to happen. I know that if he's, if he has, if the guy has one hook in and uh, you know, there's a few seconds left. I know that he he has the experience to uh, to not get scored on when he has to not get scored on and score on guys when when the time comes. Gary, looks like you're feeling the energy of the crowd right there. After you hit that yeah, double leg, you right? came up like this, and then you see a little smile on your face. Do you feel oh, yeah. that uh, from the crowd there? Absolutely, man. As the match went on, I felt more and more in control. Like I could feel him wearing down. I could feel, I could feel that he was getting frustrated. There's, there's a bunch of collar tie smacks that he tries during the match. And the moment I feel somebody resorting to like aggression, like that's you know there's no real technique behind it. I know that like. I know I got him right where I want him. So I'm like smiling at him right now. Uh, I fin- I got to finish that double. He thought he wasn't going to get taken down. I finished that double leg, you know, out of balance. It might not have counted for points, but it's there. It's demoralizing. You know, I know that I'm winning both the technical battle and the emotional battle right now. And uh, the crowd, you know, cheering fed into that. And I got a little bit of uh, motivation from Nicky Rod. Hold on. Can you go back to the um, the motivation you got from Nicky Rod? We got cut off a little bit there. <laughs> I said I got a little motivation from Nicky Rod flexing for the crowd after the double legs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair to say this is like one of your favorite matches? or, or... Absolutely, man. You know, so much movement, a lot of things happening. Uh, I really love jiu-jitsu like that. Um, ultimately, when you look at, you know, what's entertaining and what's not, it's movement. Like there's a reason that uh, in professional MMA – uh, when a guy gets pinned up against the fence for too long or they're on the ground for too long or whatever the case may be, they stop it and then they restart it in a standing position where they're no longer holding each other. It's because they feel as though nothing's happening. As long as you're – if you're attached to somebody grappling and there's something happening, people love it. It's no problem. I'll give you an example. Like uh, I forget which fight it was. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a year ago. I watched a guy literally take somebody's back with a body triangle – Woo, another takedown out of bounds. This this got to be so demoralizing. So <laughs> um, I watched him take it back the back with the body triangle, like trying to set the strangle in. And it's like, you know that like as a grappler, like, all right, dude, like this guy's like pretty close to being cooked. Uh, the other guy's like just kind of holding on to the gloves. But because nothing was happening, people are booing, right? But it, it is so crazy to think as a grappler, like, dude, this, this guy's literally in the most winning position in the sport. He's about to strangle the guy, but people are booing. Um, and it's because there's no movement happening. So it's really cool to have a match where there's tons of movement like this, tons of moves being done because everybody loves to watch that. Similar to like my Paul Harris fight and stuff. Uh, and I tend to create that. It's a lot like what Gordon said. Um, and I, I take – the reason I like to create so much movement is because I think movement creates opportunity. You know, every time I off balance somebody and they post on the floor, I feel like there's opportunities to submit. You know, and uh, that's what I'm looking for with all this kind of movement. Uh, oh, that was the end of it right there, I guess. Yeah. It was pretty close to getting, getting the back. 
Yeah. Um, similar to the t- similar to the Wagner Hosha match uh, the year the two years before that, I was, I was right in with that one hook. Oh no! The, oh, it was overtime now. It's overtime. Okay. okay yeah, so yeah. I forget. So yeah, man. I th- I think it's definitely one of my favorite matches. Gary, uh, how do you, how's your cardio so good? Because we see people who don't move one tenth this amount in a match and still gas out. How 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 are you still going 100 miles an hour after all that action? <laughs> True. I mean, I was definitely a little tired, but I knew he was exhausted too. So that helps, you know, knowing that, knowing that, like, you're both a little bit tired. Um, one, I'll use one Frankie Edgar quote. Uh, like, nice. you're supposed to be tired. Nice move. Yeah. Yeah. A little spin. Yeah. Supposed to be tired. You're yeah. supposed to be tired. Like, that's what, that's what we're doing here, right? So, like, there's a little bit of, like, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You hear that quote all the time. There's a little bit of that going on where it's like, it's like, okay, I'm breathing heavy. Uh, like, this is tough. But at the same time, it's like, okay, that's what's supposed to be happening right now. Like, you're competing in the literal Olympics of your sport, basically. And, uh, you know, competing against somebody that's the best in the world, you're having a really tough, dynamic match. Like, you're supposed to be tired. But keep going, you know? As long as you don't let that, like, you know, ruin you, ruin you mentally, uh, then uh, it's, not, it's not too much of a problem to be tired, you know? But um, I, I would say in general, I just – this is how I grapple. This is what I like. I like that fast-paced movement style. So as long as you're used to it, it's no problem, but when when you break out of your comfort zone, like if I was having a match like this and I didn't like to have matches like this, maybe I would start to freak out a little bit, you know. But this is this is my uh, my bread and butter. This is what I love. So um, for me, this is this is right what I exactly what I want. Um, so it's I still feel confident as long as I still feel confident that I'm going to win the match. Being tired is is not that big of a deal to me, you know. Go- Gordon, uh, put yourself in Hanato's shoes. Say you're training. You got Gary, ultimate Gary, firing on all cylinders here. How annoying is this for you as a training partner that he just got so much energy, never stops? How hard is it to deal with? It's uh, like having a – having being exhausted and having someone putting constant pressure on you is like one of the worst feelings of your life. Like you just feel like – it's like the closest I can get to what I imagine drowning being like – like when you just have nothing left and a guy's just walking towards you and you just like he has an endless amount of energy there's nothing nothing worse uh, worse than that so somebody's asked the same question a whole bunch of times here in the youtube comments i'm going to go ahead and get it out there they want to know from both of you guys what do you think your toughest match of your career was maybe gordon you can go first uh toughest match of my career um it probably have to be Panda the first time. Uh, I was like super sick for that match leading up to it. Um, so it'd be like the, it was like 45 minutes, I think. That was you know pretty physically taxing. Um, and then just mentally, like going out and getting submitted. Like that was the first time I'd been submitted at Black Belt and since Purple Belt. Um, so I think that was probably overall the toughest match for me. Um, I mean, physically. Uh, I've had matches where I was more tired, like the Joao match was uh, that was was pretty hard too because I was injured. So I had to like I had to put out twice as much energy in the last five minutes to not get my guard past. Like I couldn't high leg over like I usually would with my one leg. Um, so I pretty much just had to let them pass the north south and either try to bring my knees inside from north south or turtles. That was pretty physically taxing. Um, but I think overall, probably top two would be Felipe and Joao. Um, but I think I think Felipe overall would probably be the the number one because it's a longer match um, and there's a huge I mean there's a huge weight difference with Joao, uh, with, uh, Joao too um, but I think just overall the match with Felipe was harder What about you Gary? Your toughest match of your career? 
Oh, yeah. So I was trying to think about it as much as I could while Gordon was talking, and I, I had a few ideas floating around in my head. Um, but I would say uh, one of them was definitely the Crone Gracie match. Um, that yeah. was that was pretty tough. He's a unique individual, uh, similar style, actually, you know, very attacking, you know, constantly uh, trying to apply some sort of offense. Because uh, I think he's he's similar to me, you know, at this stage of the game, like, he's a very confident dude. Like, I think he really, he really believes like when he went out there in that Beijing, uh, ADCC, like he really believed that he was better than me. You know, he really believed that he's better than everybody, uh, in there. So like when he goes out, he's like, all right, whatever, screw it. Like, I'm just going to attack, attack, attack. And like, I'm going to beat these guys. You know, uh, it's only a matter of time. And, uh, it was cool to be able to get the upper hand. You know, I ended up on his back and, you know, and ahead on points and stuff. And, you know, he tried to come back and eventually took my back and strangled in the last couple of seconds. Um, but it was a really tough competitive match for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I would say the pressure of the fact that I'm competing against probably the favorite to win uh, in the division. Uh, it was my first ADCC. Um, you know, again, like I said, the, the caliber of the opponent was high, super confident, super tough, a very, uh, you know, very technical probably more technical than me at that point in time in my career. Um, you know, so that, that made for, a, for an interesting mix and very tough match. Um, I think that's probably, you know, looking back, there might, might have been something maybe tougher, that I, but I'm, I'm, it's not like, you know, coming to my head right now. So I would say uh, that that's probably a good one. Something, uh, you can cut the clip now, uh, Caleb. Uh, something that, uh, obviously not your toughest match, but I think the fans would love to hear about would be from uh, – Sao Paulo, your match with Dylan Danis. I think I'd like to hear both your guys' opinion on it because that was a big rivalry going into that match. And then, I mean, you know, we know how ADCC does it. They probably threw you guys together early on purpose. Uh, may, maybe <laughs> Dude, just, for sure. Yeah. They, I think they definitely, they definitely knew. They're, they're, the way they, those guys work, like 100%, <laughs> I know that they they have to like meet with each other and like whisper to each other like, oh, yeah, how could we screw with these guys? And here's how I know. Forget about the Dylan Dennis thing. You could speculate as much as you want. Here's how I know that's what they do. Because they put me in the absolute the year in Beijing. Because um, I asked, I was like, hey, guys, like, can I be in the absolute? You know, and, and back then, like, there, I didn't even have a corner. So nobody from my team was in it. So they didn't care. You know, it's not like, we, it's not like the one where I was in with Gordon and there was, like, a little bit of a debate as to whether or not we could do it. Because um, they really hate, like the idea of somebody potentially doing a fake match, right? So they're, they're worried, like, if teammates go in, right? So uh, there was no conversation like that. They were just like, all right, like, this dude's entertaining. Um, you know, he's going to put on a show. Like, of course, we'll put him in the absolute, right? So I got the okay that I was in the absolute, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, well, when they make the absolute, like, they'll probably, like, put me with somebody. Like, they might be bigger, but, like, they're not going to put me with, like, the biggest guy in the division, right? Like, you know, why would they do that? That wouldn't make any sense, you know? That wouldn't seem to be, like, the fair way to do it, per se. But that's exactly what they did. Cyborg, uh, right? <laughs> they gave they you cyborg. Literally put me, sorry? They gave you Cyborg, right? Is that who they gave you? No, they gave me Bushesha. Oh, another so, year you fought Cyborg. So Bushesha was yeah. my first ma- match in the Absolute. I, like, look at the bracketing, like, when it's done for the Absolute. I'm like, I'm like okay, motherfuckers. Okay. They did Keith Krikorian dirty, too, yeah. <laughs> this year. <laughs> they love that shit. They're like, oh, let's pull the little tiny guy with the giant guy. Uh, they did it to me again uh, the next ADCC in uh, – where, where was that? Was Finland the next one in 15? No, so, so in 2015, they no, did where? Bushesha first. And then they had a pullout 
And they put yeah. you with Cyborg. Yeah, that's yeah. why I fought Cyborg. Yeah, I came in right. like shirtless from the stand, like probably like drinking soda and shit. Like they're like, yeah, <laughs> classic. They're like, yeah, you want to do another match? I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. And then I went against Cyborg, like the second biggest guy in the division. That's right, Gordon. When you saw that Gary had uh, Dylan early in that Sao Paulo bracket, what do you think? So, uh, so with, sorry, go, go ahead. I was like, uh, I was like, oh, this is gonna be fun. I was like, Dylan thinks he's a leg locker, but his leg locks are nowhere near as good as Gary's. And then as the match was happening, I saw that Dylan was kind of backing out of every exchange pretty early, and Gary was the one that's like willing to stay in the pocket. So I was like, yeah, this isn't gonna go so well for Dylan. <laughs> what do you think, Gary? Yeah, I think that was another match where, uh, you know, like you guys said, there was like a little bit of bad blood, a little bit of drama. So uh, it was another match where mentally I was like, okay, you're going to be, you're 100% on in this match. And I think you see, if you watch the the Canuto match and then you watch that match or vice versa, I think you'll see a lot of similarities in the intensity of which I'm grappling. Um, so same sort of thing, like, I, like just like Gordon said, I felt him like kind of trying to run away from the exchanges. And I actually, I actually think John told me after the match – he had heard Marcelo cornering and Marcelo like yelled out run and <laughs> from like one of the exchanges that I, I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what he, what it felt like was happening. And I kept trying to like drag him in bounds uh, to make sure that I get my submission attempts off. Uh, ADCC does a good job of recreating like submissions when you go back uh, in bounds, like if you have one as they're running out of bounds, but like, I hate that sort of feeling. Like anytime somebody resets me, and like, you know, the one guy's going to argue you were in this position and this, that, and the other thing. So I usually tend, me, just the way that I am, so that there's no argument, I tend to take a, a less good position when it's reset than whatever, whatever I had before. So I'm like, fuck this. Like, I got to keep this in the center. Like, I got to allow this, like, submit. Like, I got to find a way to submit this guy inbound so that there's no, you know, question about me submitting him. And I eventually managed to, to drag him back after a takedown and, and get into that leg entrance. Nice, nice. So we, we've been having a little routine lately uh, on here where the person who was on the show the day before asks, like, a, a question for the person who's who's coming on next. So okay. Friday, Friday we had Eddie Bravo on. It was a fun one. Oh, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> I uh, I would not normally ask Gordon this question, but uh, I, I got a feeling I know what, how he's going to react. But Gary's question for you guys, or Ed, Eddie. Eddie, Eddie's question for the, the both of you is, what do you think of Lachlan Giles' outside Senkaku game? Um, so, uh, I mean, the position he's playing uh, where he uses essentially a 50-50 with his legs across the far hip, um, it's, a uh, it's a position that we play as well. The position itself is great. Um, I just don't – Lachlan bases his entire game off of 50-50, which is a uh, – a symmetrical leg locking position. So it basically requires that, you know, more than your opponent um, in that certain position. Whereas everything that we do, uh, we base our attacks off of asymmetrical leg locking positions where um, you have a clear inherent, uh, inherent advantage um, from whatever position you're using, whether it be Asimov or cross Hashigurami, uh, where your feet are relatively safe compared to uh, the exposure that you have on your opponent's, uh, on your opponent's legs. Um, so, I mean, you know, the position that he plays is great, and he has some, some good ideas from there. I just think that um, the line of the thought process that he has in referring 50-50 over the other positions are uh, are a little bit uh, a little bit off. Um, and uh, the fact that he said that outside heel looks don't work or that outside heel looks aren't really that good um, is just complete bullshit because 
they're great. You just need to know. How to I would love them. to watch. I, to I would love to watch them train with Nikki and say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do you think that would go? How do you, how do you think Lachlan and Nikki would go down if that happened? Oh, Set man. it up. I mean, That's... I think that'd be a great match. Uh, really, really good for Nikki too, especially uh, Lachlan coming off that, uh, you know, that ADCC absolute uh, winning streak there. Um, but uh, as far as the, how the actual match would go, based off of like what I see from Lachlan, unless he decides to take a different strategy, because uh, he is, you know, he does try to use his head a little bit. If he's smart, he would try to stay out of leg entanglements completely. And I. Based on what he did with Gordon, he didn't do that. He did try to use leg entanglements, but again, Gordon's much bigger, so maybe he thought it was his only hope of winning the match. Is like, well, I, if I don't leg entanglement, what the fuck am I going to do, right? But maybe with Nikki, he would think that maybe he could win some other way. Uh, but if he engages in leg entanglements the same way that he engaged with, with Gordon, I, I really think I see Nikki counter leg locking him and, and off one of the exchanges pretty quickly. Uh, I don't see him surviving uh, for too long. All right, so I don't speak Japanese. Outside Senkaku is 50-50? Is that correct? When when Eddie asked about outside Sankaku? So he, no, he's, 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 somebody educate me on this. What's what I think we might have lost Gary. Go ahead, Gordon, while Gary comes back. Okay. So um basically it's fifty fifty, so you have fifty fifty, but instead of your legs being triangled on the outside of the hip, he throws his leg across to the far hip. So you have you have essentially a fifty fifty, but you hide your own leg by throwing your your uh your foot across to the far hip. Um, we call it uh, inside out. I me he calls it outside Zinkaku. Okay, all right, cool, cool. Uh, all right, so yeah. to follow up on that, tomorrow we have Bia Mesquita coming on. Uh, you know, another uh, legend, ADCC champ, and all that. If one of you guys could come up with a question for us to pass on to Bia Mesquita tomorrow, uh, I think Gordon knows her game a little bit better than me. It doesn't I, even get doesn't even got to be jujitsu related. You could ask her anything. You could ask you her favorite both. favorite type of pizza if you want. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Um, a question for her. While he thinks of this, Gary, we have a fan question here for you. Gordon already okay. answered this uh, when he was on with Nikki Rod, but people want to know: Do you think if Carol Baskin killed her husband, Gary? Oh, bro, come on. Listen, let's look at the evidence. Let's look at the setup. I mean, is there a chance that maybe the dude found a way to get away from that crazy uh, old lady? Maybe. Uh, I can see that. there is. It, it is set up in a way where maybe he escaped. But it, what's odd about that is that he kind of just like left his whole family like out to dry and like they didn't get – you know, like I don't – I can't – it's hard for me to, to believe that he would have escaped, like disappeared and then – like Left. never found a way to give back to like his family or anything like that. And then they would have been a part of a documentary where they said like, yeah, she got all the money and that's, that's so odd. And then, if you escaped, <laughs> you'd have to leave all the, all the money behind. Right. So yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I, it, I mean, that's my, just so you guys know, that's my backup plan. Like if anything crazy happens in my life and like, it's going to like ruin my whole life. Like I'm just going to Costa Rica and I'm just gonna like live on the beach. I'll probably like teach a little bit of jujitsu, sell some coconuts, go to Oklahoma. sleep with some beautiful women. Like it's gonna be a good time. Like what people don't understand, like I think sometimes like people that want to commit suicide don't understand is like you need to go to like Thailand for like a weekend and like experience that or Costa Rica. <laughs> and you need it like there are things that you don't like living in the United States that like you just don't understand how the rest of the world is like, there is hope, my friend, 
for a much better life. Probably selling coconuts on the beach there is going to be much better than whatever stressful shit you have to deal with now. Go move out there. Give it a, give life a second chance. I'm telling you. Thailand, Costa Rica, just give it a shot. <laughs> Truth. All right, Gordon, you come up with anything? I got my question. Uh, so um, as many people know, um, a lot of the women for ADCC kill themselves doing a weight cut because there's only two divisions. There's uh, under 135, <laughs> I believe and over 135 because um, no one wants to do the heaviest division because it's just 135 up. Um, yeah, you got to fight Gabby Garcia yeah, then. Yeah. yeah. If, I'll fight if Gabby. ADCC, if ADCC comes out with a new weight class, does she still plan to cut to uh, under 60 or does she plan to go up to the middle weight class? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a good awesome. topic to talk about too. Yeah. Uh, I have a, uh, a fan question here from somebody who wants to know what is from the YouTube comments – what is the hardest submission to escape? They're asking. Uh, maybe Gordon go first. Ooh. Um, I mean, a fully locked rear naked is hard hard to beat. Um, uh, a back triangle is hard to beat. Um, those probably are my two my two biggest ones um, because the rear naked, obviously, you're completely behind the guy and you have a reinforced wedge with the figure four of your hands locked, so it's pretty hard to get out. Um uh, with, especially with the body triangle and uh, a back triangle, because again, you're behind the person and you reinforce wedge, wedge with your legs this time. Um, so you have no ability to explode out or stack your partner. You don't really carry any of the weight. But the back triangle and the rear naked would probably be the two biggest ones for me. Now, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to hear Gary's because Gary escapes from everything. Master of escapes. So I, would, I would definitely agree with Gordon. Uh, he, took, he took probably the, the biggest two. But I would the one that I would add to that conversation would be like a darce where somebody has stepped a leg over the body. Like if you get a full katagatame and a leg over the body, that's that's a that's a tough submission to get out of if it's being well applied. All yeah. right, you started something. There's already a few people in the YouTube comments calling for Gary versus Gabby, so <laughs> probably gonna see some memes out of that. Uh-oh. But uh, all right, let me get it. We got a few Woo. more minutes. One more that they're asking is who has. The best Achilles lock that you've trained or competed against? Uh, who, me or Gordon? Uh, whoever wants to go first. Maybe, Gary, you can kick this one off. Um, so, as far, okay, this is a little bit tough because there's a big difference between mechanical proficiency and, like, actual ability to break somebody <laughs> because of, like, size and strength. I would say if I'm going with the the most likely to break me or anyone else, not because of mechanical proficiency, but just because of size and strength, I would go with Luis Panza. Uh, I competed against Luis Panza in Nogi World's absolute, oh, let's say 2014. I don't know, maybe. Um, maybe maybe not. It could have been a little later. It's hard for me to remember. But uh, Was it at the Cow Palace? Sorry? San in San Francisco? Dude, I, I, I can't, can't remember. remember. I just Never know mind. I competed against him in a Nogi in a Nogi Worlds Absolute. I just I can't remember when. Maybe it was 2016. It's like really hard for me to remember. But um, anyway, so Panza was going for Achilles locks and toe holds the whole time, and and me being like at the time I was studying a lot of leg locks and things. I'm like I want to beat these guy this guy like with leg locks, right? So I'm like I'm gonna beat him with an Achilles lock or a toe hold or something while he's going for them on me. And every time I would get into a leg lock exchange and he would lock up an Achilles lock, I could feel my tibia bending in half. 
and I was like, okay, you gotta like you gotta bail. Like so, I would turn my my leg the opposite direction so there was no pressure on the Achilles, and I tried that for like six minutes, and I was like, nope, I was like not doing this anymore. So I just went. I was like, I'm guess I'm gonna change the strategy and just try to take his back. So I like went for like a fake half guard sweep and then went to his back and strangled him. Uh, but he uh, he had a really I could tell that like he had bad intentions with the Achilles and could snap it in half. I would say mechanical proficiency wise. I didn't feel it in my match with him, but just from what I've seen, I would give it to uh, Edwin Najmi. Uh, in his early career, Edwin was submitting a lot of people with straight Achilles locks, uh, was having a lot of success, and he was breaking people. And he was never like some, you know, like yoked guy or anything like that. I believe he was breaking people because of mechanical proficiency and not uh, just size and strength. All right, this will be the uh, last one. This guy's uh, asked this a few times. I'll, like, I'll let. Uh... Gordon, answer this one. What's your relationship like with Enzo Gracie? Enzo's great. Um, you know, he comes in. John teaches most of the classes, but Enzo's there, you know, at least a few times a week I see him. Uh, always happy, always upbeat, always has a story. Pretty much you can start talking about any random topic and I'll have a story for the topic. Um, you know, it's just a great guy to be around. Uh, you know, always, always, always talking about something. He always comes in, he's got a story from – 30 years ago or a story from last week uh you know there's that story uh a few years ago about him getting to a fight at one of the uh at one of the clubs with the bouncers there's always there's always something going on with henzo um so it's, it's always something interesting he uh he was talking about the uh a couple weeks ago the uh i think the french the leader of france's uh wife or something uh there's always something crazy going on with henzo whether it's for, for, for good or for bad so it's always it's always a, it's always a fun time all right, so uh, we got uh, just a few minutes left. I'll let you guys both end with a little uh, statement to your fans uh, on the way out. Maybe Gary, kick it off, and uh, yeah, say whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely, uh, guys. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, and uh, anybody that's watching, you know, thanks so much for your support. Or uh, even if you're just somebody that logs on to Instagram and just bitches at me in the comments all the time, thanks for uh, you know keeping me busy. It's, it's nice of you. Uh, <laughs> Now, I have a lot of fun arguing with people and stuff, so even if you're somebody that doesn't support me and you're engaging, you know, I'm thankful for you as well. Um, you know, hopefully everybody, you know, obviously we're dealing with a really tough time in this uh, with this uh, quarantining and the virus and everything like that. So, you know, hopefully everybody uh, stays safe. You know, I wish the best for everybody and their families in a, in a tough time like this. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, a time where we can, we can start, uh, you know, re- reaching some level of normalcy again and, and kind of get back to training and people can get their jobs back and kind of go back to back to the way things were so that uh, we can we can get everything going again. And there's going to be a little less, uh, you know, less suffering. So, you know, I'm hoping hoping to see that sometime soon. And, uh, you know, love everybody. And, uh, and thanks so much for everything. Appreciate it. All right, Gordon, are you going to take this time to talk to your fans? Or are you going to clap back at the haters? Which one are you going to go for today? Uh. I pretty much have done both. We've been here a few times. I've both talked to the haters and the fans. Um, so pretty much following everything, uh, everything Gary said. Um, you know, I'm going to be on here a little bit more um, in the next few weeks. So, uh, you know, for the fans, um, you know, just start thinking about some intelligent questions maybe you want to ask, whether it's technical or otherwise. I'll be happy to answer some. We do some fan questions today. I'll be happy to do some more fan questions, whether it's a technical breakdown or if you want to see a, a more pull up a match and do a, a breakdown of a match, it'll be a uh, you get to go over maybe for you guys so you can stay active mentally when you can't be uh, you know, active physically. So um, keep that in mind going forward. 
All right. Thanks, guys. Guys, uh, everybody watching at home, we got a crazy week coming up tomorrow. We got BMSKI, like we said. Wednesday, we got Buchech and Pergisa. Thursday, Galvao and JT Torres. Friday, maybe the one I'm most excited for, Big O Orlando Sanchez is going to be coming on. Who the knows what, what's going to happen with him? Uh, yeah, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. And uh, all right, I'm Big Gore, same show. Orlando Big, yeah. Tell Big Gore we need him Friday, five thirty. Call in with Orlando. <laughs> yeah. <Dude. But> <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have no idea the untapped potential. Now we we're talking, Gary. Talk we we're talking about. Uh, we Gordon says he doesn't want to do this live. We got to do this off the air. But we want to do uh, match breakdowns with his dad one day, where Gordon and his dad uh, watch him, and then his I mean, dad talks about I what's think going we on. Just do it live and just go with it. That would be amazing. <laughs> you just you never I know. You understand the liability associated with doing that live is is there's a good chance that like you guys just lose all funding. Uh, after the first three minutes of the conversation. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for calling in. And, uh, yeah, see everybody tomorrow. Later, guys. Thank you.